We're continuing this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2. We began last week this series growing together as God's spiritual house. And so we come this morning to part two of this series as we're working our way through verses 4 through 10 in 1 Peter 2. And so I would invite you, if you have not already, to open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And I will begin by reading our passage for us, beginning in verse 4. Peter says this, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." A famous story is told about a Spartan king who was boasting to a visiting monarch about the walls of Sparta. The visiting monarch looked around, and as he looked around, he saw no walls. So he said to the Spartan king, where are these walls about which you boast so much? The Spartan king pointed at all of his magnificent troops who were surrounding him. And he said, these are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. As we saw last week, we've been talking about growing together as God's spiritual house. And how each one of us is a part of that house as living stones. Every one of us is a brick. Who is God's spiritual house is being built up by Him. Someone pointed out this week that there is a perfect illustration behind me with a brick wall that is there. I don't see it, so as I was preaching last week, you all saw it, I didn't. But there it is, the illustration of a wall and each one of us being a brick. You could say that each one of us is a brick who together composes the walls of the house as we are built upon the foundation of Christ. Which is what we saw in verse 4 last week as we looked at our first point and what we called the foundation for those in God's spiritual house. We looked at the foundation. We saw that Christ is the living stone who is choice and precious in the sight of God. And as the living stone, He is the very foundation or the chief cornerstone of the spiritual house of God. And then we saw also how we are living stones because we are in Christ. Being in Him, we are living stones as Christ is the living stone. And we began to look then at our second point and what we saw as the function of those in God's spiritual house. We saw the foundation and then we began to look at the function. The function of you and I, those who belong to God's spiritual house. 
And we saw that as living stones, we are being built up as a spiritual house. And again, not into a spiritual house, but as a spiritual house, God is building us up. That is, Peter assumes that we are all functioning as living stones the way that we ought to function. Not as lone bricks who are laying next to the spiritual house. We are connected to one another as the church. And as that house, God is building us up. Peter says there in verse 5, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Now let me just touch a little bit more on this spiritual house that Peter is talking about here. Obviously, Peter is not talking about a physical structure here. He's not talking about a physical structure. Oftentimes, when we talk about the church, we talk about a building. You may ask someone, what church do you go to? And what are you thinking about? A physical building, a physical location. We go to Faith Bible Church, located at the Charleston Event Center at 4525 White Bear Parkway. That's the location. That's the building in which we meet. And while Peter uses the analogy of a building here to refer to the church, he is not speaking of a physical location, but he is speaking of the people. The people of the church. The people who make up the church. In fact, he calls it a spiritual house. It is a spiritual house. Because it is not physical in nature. That's not what he's thinking about here. But it is spiritual in nature. In fact, later on in this letter, Peter tells us in chapter 4 and verse 17, he says, For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? What is he talking about when he talks about the household of God? He's talking about the people, the people who are that household, those who have obeyed the gospel of God versus those who are not a part of the household of God because they have not obeyed the gospel of God. The picture of the house or the household is speaking of the people of God. That is what the church is. It's it's not a building. It is the very people of God. But Peter uses this analogy of a building here in verse 5 to give us a picture of the church. And although he uses the term house here, this house that he is talking about is not domestic in nature. This house is not domestic in nature, but it is religious in nature. As I said last week, Peter has moved on from the familial language, the language of a family that he was using earlier on in this letter, now to the language of a building. And this house here, this building, is a place that is devoted to the worship of God. It is religious in nature. Why is it religious in nature? Because the church is to be devoted to worship. The church is to be devoted to worship. You see, the the church is not a place for worship. But, as those who belong to this house, it is a place that is devoted to worship. You and I, as the spiritual house of God, are living stones who make up this spiritual house. And as those who make up this house, our lives are, de- are to be devoted to worshiping God. In fact, Paul even refers to the church as the temple of God. In Ephesians 2.21, after talking about Christ being the cornerstone, Paul says this, "...in whom the whole building, being fitted together, is growing into a holy temple in the Lord." Why does Paul speak there about a temple? 
Because the church is religious in nature. The church is religious in nature. We have been saved for the purpose of worshiping God. That is how we're to be living our lives. But we have to be careful how far we take this analogy here. Because we can't think of this spiritual house like a place where worship only happens on Sunday. Like we would think of a physical church building. We come and meet together on Sunday mornings to worship God in a, in a building, in a physical location. And then the building just sits here the rest of the week, waiting until the next Sunday for someone to come and to worship. But that's not how we ought to think of this spiritual house. As living stones, we make up this spiritual house. But we've been saved into this house in order that we might always be worshiping God. 24-7. Not just on Sunday mornings. This is not the only time in which you and I are to worship God. It is a time in which we do come to worship and it is the most important time of the week in which we come to worship because we come to gather together corporately as brothers and sisters in Christ to edify one another, to build one another up as we are collectively worshiping our God. But this isn't the only time that we worship God. In fact, that's what's implied in the next part of verse 5 where Peter says, for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter now tells us about the function of the spiritual house. Or what we could say, the function of the church. The temple of God, which is you and I, the people of God. And how are we to function? Notice Peter says there, we are to be a holy priesthood. We are to be a holy priesthood. Sadly, many people think of the priesthood today from a Roman Catholic perspective. They think that the priesthood is those guys who wear white robes and stay single their whole lives. That's what they think of as the priesthood. But that's not what the Bible says about the priesthood. In fact, Peter is saying here that all of us, you and I, are all a part of a holy priesthood. Now remember, Peter was a Jew. Peter was a Jew, and so he uses Jewish language and Jewish imagery here as he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles who are scattered abroad. And he uses Jewish imagery here to help the church understand how it is to function. And so where does Peter go? He goes back to the Old Testament, to the function of the priests, in order to help us understand as the church how we are to function as a holy priesthood. And so what I want to do is help you understand what the function of the priest was in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, only priests could serve God in the temple. And what was their job? What was their function? They were to offer up sacrifices for the people. And they were to burn incense on the altar, symbolizing the prayers of God's people. That was their function. That is what they were called to do. But this was not a job that just anyone in Israel could do. In fact, in 2 Chronicles 26.16, it says of King Uzziah, but when he became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly. What did he do? It says, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God, for he entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. King Uzziah essentially said, I am going to function as a priest. And he goes into the temple of God and he burns incense. Which God says, no, that is only a function for the priest. Uzziah, you're not a priest, you're a king. It was only the priest's job. 
But Uzziah thought that he could do this. So what did God do? God gave him leprosy. And he died. Saul also tried, another man, Saul, tried to function as a priest in 1 Samuel 13, where he offered a burnt offering himself instead of waiting for Samuel. And his consequence for offering the sacrifice was that God cursed his line. There were consequences for them functioning as priests when they weren't priests. Making a sacrifice was something that only those who were priests could do. And so, who were these priests then in the Old Testament? How could someone become a priest? Well, they were chosen by God. The priests were chosen by God. God chose the priests. He chose who would be the ones to offer the sacrifices. And who did He specifically choose in the Old Covenant? He chose the tribe of Levi. He chose the tribe of Levi. Not that every Levite was a priest, but those in the priesthood could only be from the tribe of Levi. In Exodus 28, in verse 1, God told Moses, who, by the way, was a Levite, God told Moses that bring near to yourself Aaron, your brother, and his sons with him from among the sons of Israel to minister as priests to me. Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. They were chosen by God to be priests because they were from the tribe of Levi. And yet, the amazing thing is that the tribe of Levi, back in Genesis 49, was cursed by God because of Levi's violence. Levi himself was a violent man. In Genesis 49 and verse 5, God said, Simeon and Levi are brothers. Their swords are implements of violence. And then in verse 7 of Genesis 49, God said, Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will disperse them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. They were cursed by God. And they were dispersed in Israel. Who was the only tribe that didn't have land? The tribe of Levi. The tribe of Levi. This is a cursed tribe. And this was one of the least respected tribes in all of Israel. And yet it was from this tribe that God chose the priesthood. Now, think about this. As we think now about the the new covenant. What did Jesus say about those who are His disciples? John 15, 16, You did not choose Me, but I chose you. I chose you. You didn't choose God. God chose you. Peter even reminded these believers that he's writing to in 1 Peter here, back in chapter 1 and verse 1, that they are chosen. They are chosen ones of God. Why? Why did God choose us? Is it because we were someone special and righteous and and wise and strong? Is that why God chose us? No. In fact, Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 1.26. He says, For consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen, listen to this, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong. And the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen. The things that are not so that He may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. You see, God didn't choose us 
because we were someone special. God didn't choose us because we were great. God didn't choose us because we did something in order for God to look down and say, yep, you're mighty, you're wonderful, I'm going to choose you. God chose us when we were weak, wretched sinners who could offer nothing to Him. Nothing. Because we were sinners who were His enemies. And even while we were His enemies, Christ died for us. Even while we were His enemies, God chose us. You see, God chose this cursed tribe, this tribe of Levi who were not respected in Israel to be the priests who would offer up sacrifices to Him. Isn't that amazing? God would choose them. And as the church, we who are weak and lowly sinners are God's chosen priesthood. We are God's chosen priesthood. And as God's priesthood, one of the amazing benefits we have is that we have access to God's presence 24-7. You and I have access to God's presence 24-7. You see, within the priesthood in the Old Covenant, you had the high priest who could only go into the presence of God, the Holy of Holies, on what day? The Day of Atonement. Only one day out of the year. And the high priest had to go through a cleansing ritual before he could enter. He had to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before he could enter into the Holy of Holies to go into the presence of God. And that could only happen with one man who was the high priest on one day of the year. But we, the new covenant is God's spiritual house. We have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb and now we have direct access to the throne of God through Him. Through Christ. We don't have to go through the sacrificial system and offer up sacrifices for ourselves because Christ is our sacrifice who made the way for us to get to God. You remember even on, on Mount Sinai, the people were not allowed to go up on the mountain to meet with God. They were fenced off from going up there. Only Moses could go up and meet with God. But through Christ, we have direct access to the Father. There's no keep out sign for us as the priesthood. We now have full access through Christ to God. And so, we all are a part of this chosen priesthood who have direct access to God 24-7. Now, notice how Peter describes this priesthood that we are a part of in verse 5. Notice he says there, he doesn't just say that you are a part of a priesthood, but notice what he says there. He says, you are a holy priesthood. You're a holy priesthood. The word holy there means consecrated or set apart. It's exactly what Peter referred to back in chapter 1 and verse 15. Be holy in yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. This reminds us of some men who were a part of the priesthood in the Old Testament who did not act in a holy manner. And we'll look at these men. Hold your finger in 1 Peter chapter 2 there and turn over in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 10. Leviticus chapter 10. Aaron and his sons have been consecrated back in chapter 8 of Leviticus. Then we see Aaron making sacrifices in chapter 9 of Leviticus. Notice what it says there in Leviticus chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now Nadab and Abihu, 
the sons of Aaron took their respective fire pans and after putting fire in them, placed incense on it and offered strange fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And the fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them and they died before the Lord. What did Nadab and Abihu do? They offered something that God did not tell them to offer. They offered a sacrifice that was not acceptable. We don't know the exact details of what it was that they did. Maybe they used coals in their censers that were not from the altar because the coals were only to be taken from the altar. Or they may have offered it in the wrong time of the day. But many commentators think that drunkenness was involved in this. That they came drunk. Why would we say that? Well, look down at verse 8 of Leviticus 10. Notice what it says there. The Lord then spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or strong drink, neither you nor your sons with you, when you come into the tent of meeting, so that you will not die. It is a perpetual statute throughout your generations. It's possible that they came drunk. And that's why the Lord killed them. Why was it so important for them not to drink wine or strong drink? Notice verse 10. Look at what it says there in verse 10. And so as to make a distinction between the holy and the profane and between the unclean and the clean. And so as to teach the sons of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them through Moses. You see, these guys as priests were to be living holy lives set apart for God. In fact, back up in verse 3, this is what God commands. Notice what it says there, Leviticus 10, verse 3. Then Moses said to Aaron, It is what the Lord spoke, saying, Be those who come uh, by those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all the people I will be honored. You see, as those who were a part of this priesthood, these men were to be living holy lives. They were to honor the Lord in what God had called them to do. And as those who were a part of this priesthood, We are to live holy lives set apart from the world. God commands holiness in our lives because the world is watching as we represent Him to the watching world. As those who are out in the world representing the King, we need to act like His representatives. God calls us to be Holy. It's interesting, in Hosea 4 we read of God's punishment of the priests. And in Hosea 4.9 it says this, And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. What is Hosea talking about here? He's saying there, the priests had become just like the people. They had indulged in sin the way that the people had indulged in their sin. And God said that He would punish them for their sin. Why? Because the role of the priest was not to be like the people, but to be a representative of God for the people. They were to be living holy lives before the people as God's representative. They were to be pointing the people to God instead of acting like the people. And the same is true of us today as the holy priesthood. We aren't to act like the world around us, but we are to be the ones who are pointing the world to Christ. 
We belong to Him. And so we should act like it. We must be holy for He is holy. Now, as those who are functioning as a part of this holy priesthood, there's a purpose to all of this. There are actions that we must take. Turn back over to our passage in 1 Peter chapter 2. And notice what Peter says there at the end of verse 5. He says, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, obviously, in the New Covenant, the old system of animal sacrifices has been done away with. Those sacrifices pointed to the ultimate sacrifice that would be given by Christ. But we now offer up what Peter says here, spiritual sacrifices. That word there, offer up, in the Greek means to bring or carry up. This word recalls the priestly act of carrying up the sacrificial animal and placing it upon the raised altar. As they would sacrifice that animal and then they would come and they would place it upon the altar. They would carry it up or offer it up on that altar. James used the exact same word in James 2.21 describing Abraham's act of placing Isaac on the altar on Mount Moriah. He placed him upon it. That's the picture that is given here by Peter. But Peter is not thinking of a physical act, because notice he says we're offering up spiritual sacrifices. We offer up spiritual sacrifices. The sacrifices that the Levitical priests were offering up were physical sacrifices. But as the holy priesthood in the church, we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Now, what were the sacrifices offered up for under the Levitical system. What were they offered up for? For sin. They were offered up for sin. But these spiritual sacrifices that we offer up are not to be offered up for sin because Christ has already accomplished that for us, right? Hebrews 9.26 tells us, But now, once at the consummation of the ages, He has been manifested to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself. He made the sacrifice for our sin. So we're not offering up spiritual sacrifices for our sin because Christ already made the sacrifice for our sin. Hebrews 10.11 says, Every priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But he, that is Jesus, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time, sat down at the right hand of God. He made the sacrifice for us. For our sin. It's the perfect sacrifice of Christ that is atoned for our sins. And so we don't offer sacrifices for sins. Notice also, Peter tells us these spiritual sacrifices must be acceptable to God. They must be acceptable to God. That was also true of the Levitical system. They couldn't just offer up any old sacrifice that they wanted. They had to do what it was that God had prescribed for them to do. They had to offer up acceptable sacrifices to God in order to gain approval from God. That's what the Levites did. But we, as the holy priesthood under the new covenant, are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And what is the purpose of us offering up spiritual sacrifices? Not to gain approval from God, but we do it as an expression of our worship unto God. We do it to offer up a heart of gratitude unto God for all that He has done for us. You see, as those who are a part of this chosen priesthood, as believers in Christ, we are already now acceptable to God, right? We've been saved by Him. 
He will never turn away from us because He's called us out of darkness and into light. He's called us to be His own. And so, because of the blood of the sacrifice, because of the Son, we are now approved before God. And so the spiritual sacrifices that we are offering to God are not offered up in order that we might be acceptable to God. We do it out of a heart of worship unto God for what He has done for us. This is our worship unto God. Because that's what we've been saved to do, right? To worship Him. So what are these spiritual sacrifices that we offer up that are acceptable to God? Well, in a very simple way, we could answer this by saying anything that is in line with God's Word that is pleasing to Him. Anything that is in line with God's Word that is pleasing to Him is a a spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to Him. But we also have some specific ways in which we can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Let me give you five of them. Five of them. The first spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God is our living body offered to God for service. Take your Bibles and turn over to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. This is a very, very familiar passage for us. As Paul comes into Romans chapter 12 and he begins to give some very practical advice for the church on what we are to do and how we are to live. And notice in Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, he says this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We are to offer our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. What does it mean? It simply means to give Him all of you. Everything that you are. You give it all to Him. You say, here I am, Lord. Use me. In whatever manner you desire, Lord, I am yours. Ready to be used by you. God wants your body. He also wants your mind. It includes your mind as well. God wants your mind. How do we know that? Look at what Paul says in verse 2. He says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Give everything over to Him. Give it all to Him. Your hands, your feet, your mouth, and even your mind. Give it all over to Him. All of you is to be given to God for His glory. And as we do that, we are offering a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God. So that's the first way that we can offer up a spiritual sacrifice. There's a second way, and that is by giving Him praise. By giving Him praise. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. The author of Hebrews tells us in verse 15, he says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. What is the author of Hebrews talking about here? He's talking about giving praise unto God. We offer up a spiritual sacrifice through the praise of our lips. And we can even get specific with this, as the author of Hebrews does there. The fruit of lips that give what? Thanks to His name. You want to offer up a spiritual sacrifice unto the Lord? It's acceptable to Him? Thank Him. Praise His name. 
and praise Him by offering Him thanks. What do we thank Him for? Thank Him for who He is. Thank Him for what He has done. Thank Him for all the ways He has provided for you, has blessed you, has given you so much that you don't deserve, that I don't deserve. Praise Him. Thank Him. That's how you can offer up a spiritual sacrifice unto God. By giving thanks to Him. Thanksgiving is coming up in a few weeks. It's a time that we get to offer up a spiritual sacrifice to God. But listen, this shouldn't be the only time that we do this. We shouldn't wait till Thanksgiving every year to offer up a spiritual sacrifice of praise, of thanksgiving to our God. This should be something that is done daily in our lives as we're giving our lives over to Him, as we give all that we are over to Him. We give praise to His name and we thank Him for who He is and all that He's done. Then there's a third way. Third way that we can offer up spiritual sacrifices and that is through good works. Through good works. Notice verse 16 of Hebrews 13. The author of Hebrews says, "And Do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is pleased. There it is. Sacrifice. The author of Hebrews says that God is pleased with the sacrifice of doing good. Of doing good works. Obviously, we understand we don't do good works to earn our salvation. But we do good works in response to our salvation. As a way to offer up a spiritual sacrifice unto God that is acceptable to Him. We do good works. And this is not only the idea of doing good works for another person, but it also has the idea of obedience. That is, doing what is right. That we offer up a spiritual sacrifice unto God by living a life of obedience unto Him. James says we're not to be hearers of the Word only, but we're also to be what? Doers of the Word. We're to be doers of the Word. When we're obedient to the Lord, that is offering up a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to Him. Then fourth, there's a fourth way, and that is through sharing. And again, in verse 16, he says, and do not neglect doing good and sharing. That sharing there has the idea of material possessions. Of sharing in material possessions. And again, James gives us the illustration in James 2.15 of seeing a fellow brother or sister in need of clothing and food, and you say, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled but you don't share with them and give them what they need. And what does James say there? Don't do that. That's not how we are to be in the body of Christ. We don't look at a need that someone has and we just say, oh, be warmed, be filled. Oh, you need some food? Well, I've got some. I'll pray for you, brother, that you'll find some. No, what do we do? We share with them. We give unto them. And as we share with them, what are we doing? We are offering up a spiritual sacrifice that is acceptable to God. As we share with those around us. That is offering up a spiritual sacrifice that's acceptable to God. Then there's a fifth way that we can offer up a spiritual sacrifice, and that is through sacrificial love. Through sacrificial love. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul is talking to us about being imitators of God as beloved children of God. And notice what he says there. In verse 5, beginning in verse 1, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, 
And walk in love, notice this, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. We're to look to Christ as our example. And what did Christ do? He sacrificed himself out of a heart of love love for us we're called to walk in love and what does that love look like christ gave us the perfect picture for us of what that love looks like he loved us and gave himself up for us he denied self and he gave himself for us And as we offer up spiritual sacrifices unto the Lord, we do this by sacrificial love, by selfless humility, looking to Christ as our ultimate model of what it means to live sacrificially for one another. And when we do that, that is pleasing to God. Now, turn back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says there, you are a holy priesthood. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Notice what he says there at the end of verse 5. How all of this must be done. He says, through Jesus Christ. This is all to be done through Jesus Christ. We are to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Not according to our own power or our own strength. But it must be done consistent with the work and word of Christ according to His own will and not ours. Listen, church, we've been called by God. And as those who are called by God and chosen of Him, we are a part of the holy priesthood. Not so that we can just show up to church and play church, but so that we can live our lives 24-7 in devotion to Him. So that we can live our lives 24-7 in worship to Him. It's not just a Sunday morning thing that we do. God hasn't called us to be a part of the spiritual house so that we can only show up on Sunday mornings to worship Him. But so that we can worship Him always. That's what we've been called to do. God didn't save us and call us to be a part of this holy priesthood just so that we can say that we're a part of the holy priesthood of God. But so that we can live as the holy priesthood of God. You see, the whole purpose of this spiritual house of God that we've been talking about, the church, you and I, We're a part of that. We make up that church, that spiritual house. The whole purpose is to learn these things that God has revealed to us in His Word and to build one another up so that we might live this out in our lives. In worship to our God. May we be the holy priesthood who takes what we have learned from our God and to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You that You have called us, chosen us to be a part of the holy priesthood Lord, none of us 
deserves to be a part of this. But we thank you and we praise you and we give you glory because you have chosen us and called us to be a part of this spiritual house, the church. Lord, help us to take these truths that we have learned and Lord, not to just practice them on Sunday mornings, but to live these, these truths out in our lives 24-7. That we might be devoted to You and live our lives in worship to You. Father, I pray for anyone who is here this morning who is not a part of this spiritual house, who is not a living stone, but who is a dead stone. Because they're not saved because they're not born again. They don't have eternal life. Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself, that you would convict them of sin, that your Spirit would do that work in their heart, convicting them of their sin and their need for a Savior, and that they would call upon Christ and run to Him throwing themselves at the feet of Jesus and begging for mercy that they would turn from their sin and trust in Christ alone and be saved this day. God, would you do that work in their hearts? Would you call them to be a part of the spiritual house today? That they would be a part of the holy priesthood living their lives and worship to You, giving glory to You, telling others of the great works that You have done, being the amazing God that You are. And Father, for those of us who are part of this holy priesthood, Lord, help us to live our lives offering up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to You through Jesus Christ our Lord. That we would live daily lives in worship and praise and adoration to You, living in obedience to Your words You've called us to do, all for Your glory. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.